it says, the belt of truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It says that the, the shield of faith doesn't just quench some of the fiery darts, but it says it quenches all the fiery darts. Hallelujah. But if you notice, all these pieces of the armor that I've mentioned are only protective gear. There's one weapon. It's the sword of the Lord. It's the word of the living God. Hallelujah. And I want to tell you one thing this morning. That you have a weapon in your mouth. How do we wield that sword? We speak it. When the enemy comes against us, how many have a mountain? I do. I've got a mountain that I'm talking to right now. In fact, more than one. And it has to move. Because it cannot stand up against the word of God. If you need a healing, whatever you need this morning, your weapon is in your mouth. Remember that this week. And one scripture I want you to take with you before I read pastor's text. It is written, Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Too many times we're running from the devil. We're supposed to put him on the run. We got to get off the defense and get on the offense this morning. Let's put the devil on the run. Amen. Let's read pastor's text this morning. It's from Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you have made. I ask, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts, open our hearts as pastor brings the word to us this morning and anoint him mightily. We ask it in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I'm excited about the word of the Lord because every song has been confirming it. And I'm just expecting the Lord to show up in a mighty way here today to do a lot of miracles for you here in this congregation. We serve a wonderful love. We not, is not God on the throne? Does he not order our steps? And we're not here by coincidence or by chance. My wife's always told me that. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe in chance. I believe in divine appointment and divine order. And I believe in divine order. And I believe that every single one of you are here on purpose because God has ordered your steps to be here today. You know, as you, read, as you look into our text, all throughout the four gospels, we see instances of Jesus doing divine acts of healing all through the scripture. And some of his miraculous accounts are recorded for us several times uh, from the different vantage points in the different gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of those writers wrote the, their specific details as they saw them from the different angles and from the different lens of vision from the positions that they were in. They seen it in their own light and they wrote it down. And yet there are other miracles recorded in the Bible only one time and it causes them to be unique passages within the word of the Lord. And within our text in the gospel of Mark, we find such a unique miracle recorded only once in detail. We know that Jesus healed many blind people during his earthly ministry and four of them are recorded in detail and repeated throughout the gospels. They're recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke, some of them in all of them, some of them two or three different times. However, this passage isn't just rare because it is only written once and only 
found in the book of Mark, but it is also the only progressive miracle that Jesus ever performed in the New Testament. You cannot find him healing this way anywhere else, or at least I could not. And this is a very rare and important passage of scripture that the Lord just dropped into my spirit two weeks ago, and I just kept thinking, God, what are you saying through it? I have read it, I have studied it, I have preached it for 35 years, but God began to just keep on putting this in my spirit. And notice that as Jesus came into Bethsaida, that some of the people brought a blind man to him, and they besought him or begged him to heal him. Then notice that Jesus done two really weird and unusual things. How many knows that sometimes God does weird and unusual things? It goes against the natural thinking. And yet on the other hand, there is one thing that he did that we Pentecostals are very familiar with. He laid his hands upon the man. And we know that the laying on of hands is important practice and doctrine among us as Pentecostals. And I am not here this morning to preach on the importance of the laying on of hands, but it was and it is an important doctrine and practice of the early church, and it still is an important practice for us here today. James tells us that if any sick among us, let him call for the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil, lay their hands upon them, praying for the prayer, because the effectual favorite prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We see all through the scriptures, we see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle happening as the saints and those early church believers laid their hands on people and they were healed. Jesus even said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, and we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How many of you believe on the laying on of hands? Of course we do. That's what we practice. That's one of our doctrines. And we see nothing strange about Jesus laying his hands on him because during even Jesus' earthly ministry, he went around everywhere laying his hands on the people and healing them of all manner of diseases according to Acts 10 and 38. However, this first thing that he done that was unusual was that when they brought this blind man to him and said, we want you to heal him, the Bible says that he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. No doubt that the people that had brought this blind man to Jesus for healing thought that they maybe they brought him because he was a part of the village and they cared for his life. They cared for his well-being. On the other hand, they could have simply desired to see the miracles of Jesus for themselves and they were what you would call sign seekers. I don't know their motive. They could have been looking for anyone to be healed as far as that's concerned so that they could witness firsthand that Christ's miraculous power because they heard of him. No matter the motive, we see that Jesus responds to them in the most unusual way. He pulled this blind man out of the public arena. He pulled him out of the public to where the public could not see what happened. It seems that Jesus did not want those that were in this city to see him be healed and he desired to do it in a private manner. Now that kind of blows my mind. It looks like that he would want to do it to where he could get glory. It looks like he could do it to where it would build the faith of the city. Sometimes Jesus just does things that we don't understand. A lot of times we want our miracles to happen and be displayed right here in front of everybody. We think, you know, God, I'm gonna come up and we're gonna anoint with oil and I'm gonna receive my miracle. And well, we should expect that. And that's what these people were expecting. But when they got there, Jesus just took the blind man and pulled him away from the crowd and pulled him away from those people and led him out of the village. This fits the description of what Jesus said about the region of Bethsaida in the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 21. It says, woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and in ashes. And even though the people were excited that Jesus came into their region and they longed to see Jesus perform a miracle because they had heard of the great miracles that he performed and they desired to witness them firsthand, yet that region had a problem. They did not know, nor did they believe, nor would they accept that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They wanted him to entertain them. They wanted him to do his works. They wanted the benefits of the healing, but they would not embrace him as the son of the living God. And this region was known for its unbelief. 
and its rejection of the gospel. As a matter of fact, here is Jesus saying, if the miracles I'd done in Bethsaida would have been done in Tari and in Sidon, they would have repented. You have not repented. My miracles has not done you any good. My miracles has not persuaded you of who I am. So he takes this blind man and leads him out. One writer said they were not worthy to be witnesses of such a cure due to the evil unbelief in their midst. And this is why that Jesus led the blind man out of the city. Let me stop right here. And one of the greatest things that you and I fight, even us as preachers, those of us that's been in the ministry for 35 years, one of our greatest obstacles, one of our greatest enemies is doubt and that evil spirit of unbelief. Can I have an amen? It's odd how that saints can be up one minute and down the next. It's odd how we can believe one minute and then just fall flat on our face the next. Elijah, a man of like passions as we are, he got depressed and he got, he got, uh, he got full of anxiety and worry and fear. He lost faith on many different occasions. So it's a natural thing sometimes in the flesh for us to lose our faith or not have the faith that we exercise. Jesus even rebuked his disciples and said, why is it that you have such little faith? And in one place he even looked at them and said, why is it that you have no faith? And then he looks at other passages of scripture and says, I have found no greater faith, no, not all in Israel. So there's levels of faith. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God is about to challenge us in our faith here today because God wants to do a miracle right here in this house, right now, today, right before our eyes. If you believe that, would you just stand to your feet and worship him and praise him in advance? Yes. My, 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 we gotta believe it. I want you to believe it with me a little longer than that. I want you to believe it with me. Come on, we're building faith here today. We're building faith here today. Yes, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we know that unbelief does hinder miracles and the miraculous from occurring. We know that unbelief does stifle the hand of God, the move of God. When Jesus went into his hometown, Nazareth, the Bible says that people came out and said, is this not the carpenter's son talking about Joseph? Others said, is this not his, is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? In other words, isn't he one of us Nazarenes? He's just like us. He's a common Joe. That's the way they looked at Jesus. Jesus walked into the region. Oh, that's Joseph's son. Oh, that's Mary's son. Oh, that's John's brother. Oh, that's James. Come on now. That's how they treat him. said, isn't he just one of us Nazarenes? And then Jesus looks at them in disbelief. He looks at them angry almost. And he says to them, a prophet is not without honor except his own country and in his own house. He said, I can go all over this world and find honor, but I come to my own hometown and you don't recognize who I am. You can't see past the veil of flesh into the spirit. You only see me as the son of man born of a virgin by the name of Mary, but I'm more than that. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm the son of the living God. I'm Messiah, Messiah. I'm Jehovah Jireh. Come on, somebody. He said, I want you to understand you don't recognize who I am in my own hometown. Sometimes Jesus finds some of his greatest opposition and obstacles in his own house and not within the realm of the people of the world. It's a sad thing. I right now speak against every authority that it tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God in this place and I cast it down. You have no right to be here in the house of the Lord. There shall not be no mountain. There shall not be no obstacle. There shall not be no hindrance. There shall not be no spirit of unbelief. There shall not be no doubt at the palace of praise this morning. We cast it out in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and we declare that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is Lord. (laughs) 
Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. I think somebody here really believes Jesus is Lord this morning. And he can do anything he wants to do. And he's ready to do it. Amen. It's a sad day when Jesus has to draw someone out of his own hometown at Nazareth, representing his own house, his own temple, in order to heal them. God forbid that people can't get healed here because we got too much unbelief scattered throughout the building. Come on now. Even though there were those that brought this man to Jesus believing that he would cure, or at least could cure, yet Jesus doesn't respond or move just to satisfy the people's curiosity. He's not there just to entertain seekers that's looking for Jesus to convince them of who he is and what he can do. Matthew chapter 16, verse four, he even rebukes such people. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall be no sign given except that of the prophet Jonah. What was the sign of the prophet Jonah? It was actually a symbol of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus because he was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights and Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights and he was resurrected. And I wanna tell you, all healing in this building is gonna come on the basis of you believing that Jesus died and he was put in the grave and he was there for three days and three nights but he overcome death, hell, and the grave and he arose on that third day and he sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercessory for the saints. I believe in the risen Lamb of God. I, can I tell you that Jesus isn't going to just be healing here or delivering here just for healing or deliverance sake. He isn't going to just do miracles just to entertain our doubt and combat our unbelief here this morning. If Jesus heals, he's going to do it because he is responding to our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence is a thing not seen five times. With a just shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith. We, not, we don't walk by sight or by feeling, we walk by faith. Can I have an Amen. We're justified by faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to believe it's faith, 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 faith. Can I have an amen? And Jesus responds to our faith, however. Jesus responds to our faith. However, I love the revealed grace and mercy and love shown in Matthew 13, 58. We just quoted it. And he did not mighty many miracles, uh, many mighty works there because of their unbelief. How's mercy found in that? Notice that it did not say he did not do any miracles there. It said he did not do many. I caught that for the first time in my reading. Even though the place was drenched in unbelief and stooped in death, yet he still done some miracles there. Somebody ought to be happy about that because we're not all got it together yet. We're not perfect. In other words, you don't have to have perfect faith. You just got to have faith. You got to have a measure of faith. And God has given every man a measure of faith that it takes in order for him to move. Can I tell you that Jesus can save to the uttermost? He can do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we're even able to ask or think. And can I tell you, Jesus cares enough about the seeker that if need be, he can take you where you're at, place you where you need to be in order for you to get your divine miracle. Amen? He can take you out of the place of unbelief and place you in the atmosphere of belief just like that. He can take you out of the atmosphere of hindrance and place you in the atmosphere of expectation. Matter of fact, how many's got an expectation that something's gonna happen here today? I believe the Lord's promised me miracles are gonna take place here today. Divine miracles. You take Jarius or Jarius, ever how you want to pronounce his name. He's pronounced all kinds of different ways. I've heard different scholars call him by different names. I call him Jarius, some call him Jarius. When he came to Jesus, he said, Jesus, my daughter layeth home with sick, and would you come and heal her? He said, I will come. And on, as on their way, a woman with the issue of blood interrupts Jesus, detains him. She presses through the uh, multitude, touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed, and and, and Jesus felt the virtue go out of him and said, who touched me? And there's a story there that I'm not gonna go into. And finally, she admitted that she touched him and she was made whole at that very hour. 
And while this woman detained him, a man from Jairus's or Jairus's home came, a servant, and come to Jairus and said, don't bother the master any longer for your daughter has died. And Jesus heard it and he moaned in his spirit and he looked at him and said, don't fear, only believe. And he goes ahead and goes with him. But notice, out of all that crowd that's thronging him, he would only allow Peter, James, and John to go with him. He only took them. He would not let anybody else go. He put everybody else out. You're not going with me. Here is a moment when he's got crowds thronging him, when he could be really having a revival of all revivals, when he, things could be, be exploding. He puts all of that on hold, pushes them away, and says, John, Peter, James, come and go with me. And they go to Jarius's house, and they walk in and there are people weeping and moaning and groaning. And he looks at them and he says, why do you weep? This damsel's not dead. She's only asleep. And what did it say? And they laughed him to scorn. And as he left, he put them all out of the house. He drove them out except Peter, James, John himself and the mother of the child and the father of the child. And then he walked over to where she's at and he said, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she woke up and she got up. Can I have an amen? And then Jesus says, give her something to eat. I want you to know before Jesus could perform that miracle, he had to get rid of the weepers and the doubters and the powders and the skepticals. Come on, somebody. And I want to tell you, if there's one thing I want you to do today, stir up your faith with me. Because I need your faith. And you need my, and we need to combine faith here today. There are people in need of miracles in this house, and I will not be denied. I believe with all of my heart that divine miracles are going to take place right here in our very sight. Hallelujah. By Jesus taking the blind man by the hand personally and leading him out of the town indicates to us, number one, his love for him, but it indicates that our paraclete, the one who comes alongside of us to help us, he's called the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. He'll guide us into all truth. He cares about the seeker today. You may be a seeker that's linked with wrong people, but he cares enough about you, he'll take care of the wrong people. Amen? He will take you out, separate from you from where you're at and from who you're with in order to get you in the place you need to be and to be around the people you need to be. He's able to do that. Before he could deal with the man's blindness, he had to get him out of the realm of unbelief, out of the realm of darkness. Jesus separated him from the crowd taking him out of the town from the inhabitants of the city so that he could be healed. And I'll be honest with you, when we were on Ninth and Cedar, we seen more, more miracles than probably we see naturally now because it's harder to unify a crowd than it is a small group. Does that make sense? And Jesus here says, I'm not gonna try to unify this city. I've done miracles here that still don't know who I am. They still don't trust who I am. They don't confess me as Lord. So he just pulls the man out of the city. He took him out of a hostile environment, drawed him into an atmosphere that was conducive to a miracle. And before miracles can happen at the Palace of Praise, we gotta make this atmosphere conducive to that miracle. We gotta believe. I want you to believe with me. I want you to understand that God has spoken to me and said, I desire to do miracles among you. Is there not anybody excited about that? This ought to be a, a regular place of miracles. But he's not gonna do the miracles to satisfy your curiosity. He's gonna do miracles to satisfy your faith and your belief. He's not gonna do it just to entertain you and to get you to a level of, of faith. You get to the level of faith and he'll then come through for you and he'll help you. But even if you have a spirit of unbelief and doubt, he will help you to produce that faith. He will guide us and become our leader as we approach him in faith believing. And sometimes he leads in ways that we know not. In other words, ways that make no sense or one that has no logic or no sound reasoning behind it. Some of the greatest miracles that are done are done in secret instead of among the masses. I don't understand that all the time, but it was. And then when Jesus got done, even here, don't go tell no one what I done. He even tells this woman, or this man that was blind after he healed him, 
Don't go back in the city and tell them anything. Come on. I know that I had a spot on my eye. I've told about it for several, several times before. There's a big bump that come up black as it could be. I, I, it just, and, and it got to getting sore. I got to feeling where it was giving me just a little bit of soreness. And my wife would look at that and she'd say, man, that's bad. You got to get that checked out. So I'd go to the doctor. What doctor? Oh, I forgot to ask him, Kent. I'm telling you, you got to get that checked out. That's not good. It's, it, it, you got to figure. So one day I remembered, and when I was at the doctor, and he looked at it, and he said, well, it don't look good. I'll admit that. He said, I think it's this. And he said, I know one thing. I know that if you cut it out, Kent, it's going to get real big, and it's going to just keep spreading. That kind of stuff spreads. And he said, let's just keep an eye on it. And I'd come back, and he said, no, that ain't good enough. We're not just going to keep an eye on it. It looks bad. Get a second opinion. Get a second opinion. She was just so adamant. She felt something. And she said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll just pray about it. And so she started praying and I started praying. Months had went by. No one ever said nothing. I didn't say nothing. I was driving down the road and come by the stoplight down there by Jim, I can tell you, by Jim Hogg's old store where it used to stand. And I was sitting there waiting for the thing to turn green. And when I looked up to see if it was green, I looked at the mirror, caught my attention, and that thing was gone, completely gone. I don't know when God done it. I don't know how it was gone. But it's gone. It's not there. It, it's not, it, it just completely disappeared. And some of the greatest miracles that I've ever seen in our church is when half or three-fourths of the people had left and there was a remnant that kind of held over that was under a burden and they began to pray or they wasn't letting up on somebody that was sick and all of a sudden in that least little crowd, God would show up in a magnificent way. And then when you would tell people, man, I wish I would have stayed. Man, I wish I would have stayed. So we understand that sometimes doubt and unbelief have to leave the room in order that faith might be exercised that God's miracles might take place. Some of the greatest and the most faith-growing experiences in our life will happen when we are completely alone with the Lord. And the real question is, with the busyness of our world and with all of its distractions and all of its hindrances, are we willing to be led to Jesus to a place of solitude like this man was? Or are we putting all of our confidence in the people who brought us to Jesus and are we attracted to all the excitement of the crowd? Now, I'm not preaching against this. I just want to bring some things, a light and attention to some things. Before the miracle can occur, there has to be a place where we quit putting our confidence in the crowd that brought us and the people that's praying over us. Even though they may be wonderful people and we got to, our sole focus must be focused on him and him alone. Though there are times that we need the help of others and they carry us to Jesus with their faith and they bear up our infirmities and they're supposed to do that according to the word, those that are strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak, yet one cannot live on the faith of others alone. I see mothers carrying their, own, their whole household, grandmas carrying their whole family because everybody, go to grandma. She'll pray it through. Come on, and you take people for granted. But there comes a time, if you want the miracle, there comes a time it's got to quit being at the expense of grandma and the expense of mom and the experience of, at the expense of pastor or elders or the church family, and you've got to start knowing Jesus in an ultimate way to where you believe him for yourself. Can I have an amen? I want everybody to understand that every single person here this morning has the sole attention of Jesus upon their life. That it isn't, oh, if I could just let Randy West pray for me, or if I could just let Bill Mark, no, 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 it's, oh, I've got Jesus' attention this morning. That Jesus cares for me. That Jesus loves me. That Jesus is interested in my need. That I can cast all of my care upon him because he cares for me. And, and whoever would come now, he will in no wise cast out. I am the apple of his eye. I am the chosen possession. I am his adopted son. I have an inheritance in Jesus. And God, I have his attention. Can I have an amen? Somebody give God praise. You remember the paralyzed man that was born of four in the book of John and they carried him to Jesus. You remember that story? They were hindered to get him into the house where 
Jesus was teaching and preaching. The Bible says, and the power of the Lord was there to heal them. Here is Jesus in a house, a temple. Well, we it made it a temple, but it was a house. But he made it a church service. And the house is so full that here they are bearing this burden, this man to Jesus, and no one would let him in to get into the presence of the Lord because the presence of the Lord was there to heal him. There's a hindrance. Every time we come to the house of God, the enemy lays hindrances, snares. They're everywhere. Doubt, he whispers, he sets up things, he pulls down, come on, he puts, gets a distractions a, a, a a tr- a in front of you, distractions. He does everything he can to distract you. Can I have an amen? If you want to come in here and you have a need of a miracle, he'll set a kid in front of you that'll just be all over the fusion and the enemy will wear you out about the movement of that child on that chair. You know what I got to say? Get up and change chairs because your healing is more important than being distracted. Or there'll be 500 people have to go to the bathroom and they'll get down the aisle and you'll think, man, that's distracting me. Get up front. What price are you willing to pay to get your miracle this morning? If you're being distracted right now, you've got my permission. Get up and move. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to preach help here here today. And we see that this man that was born before could not get in. So what did they do? They took ropes, pulled him up on top of the house. They started tearing off the roofing, the tiling. He's, they're, they're tearing that off. They're going to give Brother Cochran some more work to do. And they make a big hole in the roof and they lower him down at the feet of Jesus. And I want to thank God for those men. I thank God for those that's carried me when I was weak. I want to thank God for those that's encouraged me when I needed encouraged. I want to thank God for the edifiers of the church that when my spirit was down, you lifted me up. Come on. All of us need somebody in the path of life to help us from time to time. But there comes a time when you have to get a hold of yourself and say, people can only carry you so far. They can carry you and lay you at the pool of Bethesda, but they don't have the power to stir the waters. And somehow you've got to get in that water by yourself. And I'm here to tell somebody that there are people that's been helping you and helping you and helping you and helping you. And you know what has happened? You've got addicted to the help and you're running to them for your source of help, but you're living beneath divine privilege because you yourself have not believed in the Jesus that they presented to you. Huh? Here's somewhere we gotta believe. This man was laid down at the feet of Jesus and noticed something as they lowered him down to the feet of Jesus that it was his faith that made him whole. Jesus is teaching and he's preaching and he begins to say, tell the man to be healed, to rise up and walk and his sins be forgiven him. And they said, who is it that can forgive sins but God alone? He says, it was it either to say thy sins be forgiven thee or, or to say rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins. I tell unto you, get up your bed, pick up that couch and walk for thy faith has made thee whole. And the man picked up his couch and he got to walking. Can I have an amen? But Jesus said it was according to his faith. Well, where did he get faith? When they lowered him down and he was preaching faith coming by hearing and hearing the word. He took what Jesus said and believed it for himself. And somewhere in that transaction, that man began to believe for himself. And Jesus honored his faith and he brought him to a place of wholeness right before that whole congregation. Can I have an amen? It was his faith that causes healing. But notice Taking him out of the town wasn't the only weird thing that Jesus did. But the Bible says that he also spit in the man's eyes and then laid his hands upon him. I feel anointing. I'm about to lose half of my congregation right now. The Bible says he spit in the man's eyes. Now, how would you like for me to come along and spit in your eyes? Let's get serious. 
If you ever feel led by the Holy Ghost to spit in someone's eyes, you better know that you know that you know that you know that you know that God's told you to spit in someone's eyes. Or you might receive the right hand of fellowship upside your head. Can I have an amen? Now, I've never been in a Pentecostal service. We've slung oil. We've, we've put oil on handkerchiefs. We've tried to recopy everything in the Bible, but I've never been in a service yet where somebody spit on somebody that I know of. Now, I spit on somebody, but it's always accidental as I preach. That's why a lot of people used to like sit in the closeness of Ninth and Cedar because they got a bath when I preached. They didn't know they were under the, the anointing was upon me, man. And nevertheless, Jesus spits in this man's eyes. How would you like for them to spit in your eyes? You talking about trust, amen? We only see this in one other passage of scripture where Jesus used his spit to perform a miracle in blindness. It was the healing of the man that was born blind in John chapter nine. In John chapter nine, verse six, the Bible says, and when Jesus is spoken, he spit on the ground, he made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind with the clay. And then he told him, go worship in the pool of Siloam. Then as the man obeyed, he was made whole of his blindness. That's what the Bible says. Now this isn't unusual as you think because according to Genesis chapter one, man was made out of the dust of the ground. So in order for Jesus to heal this man, he spit in the ground, he made clay, which was the original particle of creation because man was made out of the clay of the earth and he made him some new eyeballs and he just stuck them in. That's what Jesus did. Then there was also a man that was deaf and dumb. He could not hear, he could not speak according to Mark 7, 33. And the Bible says this, that Jesus put his fingers in his ears and he spit and touched the man's tongue. We don't like to double dip. Well, that's more than a double dip. Can I have an amen? You always hear people, I don't want to drink after so-and-so. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus spits on his fingers and then sticks it upon the man's tongue. Lord, have mercy. Now, this is getting weird. This is getting off the charts. Now, Lord, you could have healed him without doing that. That's gross. You know what? That, that, that could spread germs. I don't know if I want someone spitting on their hands and saying, stick out your tongue, Pastor. Pow. Amen? But then when he done that, he cried, be open. And the man's ears straightway were open and his tongues were loose to where he spoke plain. Woo! If I was deaf and I could not speak, I don't care. Jesus spit all over me. If you're going to heal me, do whatever you want to do. Do it your way. Everybody asks me, why do you think you've done that? I don't know. All I can figure out in order for the healing to take place, Jesus had to put a little of himself and put it into the man. Jesus took a little bit of himself, put it in the man. Jesus put a part of his DNA in him in order to heal him. In other words, folks, everything about Jesus is anointed. Even Jesus' very saliva is anointed of the Holy Spirit. Every ounce of him drips with anointing. If God can blow his nose and split the Red Sea with the blast of his nostrils, he split the Red Sea. And if Jesus can spit on a man's tongue and make him talk, spit in a man's eye and make him see, then what do you think he can do by the power of his spoken word over you here this morning? Can I have an amen? After Jesus spit on his eyes, then the Bible says he laid his hands on him. I love this. He touched him personally. He made it personal. I love it when people come up. There's just something about an embrace. There's just something about a touch. You know, when you're talking to people and they reach over and they put their hand on your shoulder and they pat you. It's just a shot. It's a sign of affection. It's a sign of love. It's a sign of devotion. It's a sign of brotherhood. It's a sign of commitment. And here's this man going through what he's going through. And Jesus then just reaches out his hand and he touches him. Then he asks, Hey, what do you see? I've spit on you, I've touched you, I've led you out of the city, I got you out of the realm of unbelief and the realm of expectation. Now what do you see? To our amazement, the man did not answer the way that we thought he would answer. There was a letdown. Have you ever 
being so encouraged, so edified, so lifted up, so touched, so blessed, so overwhelmed with emotions, so overwhelmed with faith and belief only for you to go back to the doctor. No, there's still some of it there. Hello? Oh, my. That's what happened right here. It happened even when Jesus prayed and spit, led him out, done all these different things to bring healing to this man. And yet there's still a war going on. And Jesus said, what do you see? And he said, I see men walking around like trees. Notice he's seen movement. He recognized and was aware of movement for the first time. He's seen men walking. He's seen the movement. He's seen images for the first time. He's seen that they were in the shape of a tree. A man was in the shape of a tree. Never had he seen this before, but now we see partial of his eyesight begin to be healed. Now, that, this is the only place I can find this kind of a healing. Maybe you can educate me of a different place in the New Testament. Now, I know that the Lord told them to go wash. There was a thing of obedience that they had to do, but after they washed, they were made perfectly whole immediately. But he's not made whole immediately. That's like somebody coming up here and saying, man, I got cancer, pray for me. And we pray for them. And then they go back to the, and man, they have an experience out of the lifetime. I'm talking about uh, anointed saliva falls in the service. Can I have an amen? Why is it that anointed saliva can open blinded eyes for a man that was born blind immediately, but it don't happen in this case with this man? It's the same man, it's the same spit. Why is it that this spit is any different than the spit that was put on the tongue of the man that couldn't talk? And all of a sudden, we find there's many cases in our church and other churches where people come up, diabetes or cancer or whatever it is, and we pray for them and they go back, well, man, three-fourths of it's gone. What a, that's marvelous, but you, but you still got a problem here. That is exactly what took place right here with Jesus Christ being the authoritative one praying for this man. Now, if this happens when Jesus is praying for people, how much more is it gonna happen when we pray for people? Amen? The healing in this story is quite unique in that it occurs in stages rather than instantaneously. I've always been told miracles happen, but sometimes healing can come by the way of progress, uh, process. And that's probably true. We know that the man born blind had to go worship himself, like I said, in order to get his healing. But when he did, it was immediate, but not with this man. After Jesus asked him, and the man told him what he saw, I love it. I love what the Bible says. Jesus said, well, I don't know why. Oh, devil. He didn't, no, he didn't sit around and pout and go into a big explanation. He didn't sit around and try to make excuses of why. You know what Jesus done? The Bible says, and Jesus touched him a second time. <laughs> I love it. He laid his hands, it says, on him again. He was some better, but not whole, but God had a second touch for him. And I don't know who it is here. There's a lot of people that's been battling some things and you progressively are getting better, but it's not gone yet. I want to give you a word of encouragement, honey. God's got a second touch for you. You say, well, I've done got my second. He's got a third touch. He's got a fourth touch. He's got a fifth touch. He's got whatever, how many touches you need to bring you to the point of completion. We may need a third touch, a fourth touch, a fifth touch. We may have to grow in our faith. But ever how many we need, may God bless us with his hand extended to us with his touch. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it isn't gonna happen. You know the story of my little granddaughter, Juliet. She's deaf. They take her every time to go to the doctor to get checked out. They're trying to figure out what to do. The cochlears are deformed in the ears. No, no nerves in one to one of the cochlear, and the other cochlear has little bitty bitty nerves. They said the cochlear implants, you know, we don't know if it'll help on the one ear or not, because it's the cochlear itself's not got the turn. We don't know if, you know, it 
it's deformed. At the first few meetings, no hope whatsoever, really. She'll have to be deaf the rest of her life. They didn't say that, but you could just tell by what they were saying. They weren't saying, oh, no, we got answers. No, no, we got to, we, this is no problem. They wouldn't come out and talk like that. They take her to the doctor this last Thursday or Thursday. I get the days mixed up. They go up there, test her hearing she's deaf, test her hearing she's deaf. They put her hearing aid in this side, she's deaf. Put the hearing aid in this side. But this time something weird happened. She began to respond. Yes, somebody needs to praise the Lord for my grandbaby. said, man, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Sam tried to explain it. He said, Dad, the best way I can tell you is she responded about 50% of the time. (laughs) I began to turn somersaults. She said, why? Because God is beginning to open the ears. It's a sign. It's It's a blessing. Me and James, Papa James and Papa Kent, I'm the good looking grandpa, he's the ugly grandpa. That's why I tell Juliet all the time. And we're both the loud mouths of the family, as you know. And me and him's talking, I said, James, I believe she hears me sometimes. She said, he looked at me and said, man, I think she hears me too. And I'll just be sitting there every once in a while talking and all of a sudden I'll say, hey, I can't show I don't know what she's hearing. Don't know the sounds, the syllables. I don't know. It don't matter. But there's times, every once in a while, a great while, she'll respond. And everybody says, but why are you rejoicing so early? She wonders she has to live like that. I declare she's not going to live like that. My God's a God of a second touch and a third touch and a fourth touch and a fifth touch and a sixth touch and a seventh touch and an eighth touch. Right now would be a good time to stop, but let me just finish this real fast if you can sit down. Hallelujah. The symbolism of this passage about healing being a process and coming into stages is a picture or a symbol of our maturing process in our faith as a believer as well. It's building of our faith. God knows how to build it. He's building my faith. That little incident with Juliet's building my faith. Christ's method of healing here shows that our spiritual vision or our enlightenment is a continuous progress throughout our whole life. Even though that we are saved and we are born again and we are enlightened and we are transformed and changed, we still see through a glass darkly according to the Apostle Paul's teaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. We, know, we don't understand everything. We don't have it all figured out. We're like the Apostle Paul when he said, I have not yet obtained, I have not yet arrived, but I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Even when it comes to prophecy, you know what Paul said? We only prophesy in part. Even when we give out a word of prophecy, according to Paul, we're only prophesying in part. We're not given the details of that whole prophecy. We just got a, a piece of the prophecy. So what does this mean? This means that in order to have a more meaningful understanding spiritually, we have to have more than just a single touch. 
The more touches that we receive, the more enlightenment that we have, and the more enlightenment that we have, the more faith that we have, and the more faith that we possess, the more miracles we can have. Take Caleb, for example, and I'll close with this. Caleb and Joshua went up to go into the Canaan land to receive their promise. You ready to receive your promise? But due to 10 of the spies, they were two of them, but due to the other 10, the unbelief was so rampant that God could not allow them to go in. Caleb and Joshua come back and say, oh yeah, we, we can take it, but the others come back, oh, there's giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They had the fruit that God promised. Carrying clusters of grape, two men carrying one cluster of grape. That's how much fruit was there. They had the evidences of everything that God said, but 10 of them had a spirit of unbelief upon them. And Joshua and Caleb had to roam in the wilderness for 40 years and for 40, 40 years with a bunch of unbelieving people because they hindered them from going into their promise. Unbelief, it's evil, it's, it's ugly. But after that generation died out, with everything that went on in those 40 years and the miracles that were seen, each touched increased the faith of that man of God. And when he's 86 years old, 40 years after he should have already possessed it, 40 years later, 86 years old, he stands as an old man and they're about to go over and they ask him, and I'm paraphrasing, Caleb, what are you saying? He says, give me my mountain. I'm ready. I'm here to tell you that this morning may be your first touch and your first touch may be an instantaneous healing, but if not, God's got another touch for you awaiting. He's got another place, another time. He's got another touch. And I want everybody that needs a miracle, I want you to stand up right now in the name of Jesus. I don't want you to be bashful about it. Look at verse 25 of our text. After he put his hands again, the second time on his eyes, and he made him look up. Now let me tell you something, folks. Quit being in despair. You cannot get any miracle looking down. He made him have a perspective. Look up. It ain't as bad as you think. And then he restored him, and he saw every man clearly. Amen. If you're in need of a miracle, I want, first of all, all my staff get up here, all of our, my preachers, all of my council members, uh, everybody that's anointed of the Holy Ghost that believe in the power of the Spirit, all of my, my prayer team people. I want the prayers of people of the church to get up here and get ready to lay hands on people. And I want you to believe with me because we're gonna see miracles here today. The first one mine was, well, be this little old sweetheart right here. God's not a respecter of persons. He's not, he's not he doesn't resist the age. Rhonda, just go over and lay your hands on her and pray for her in the name of Jesus. Connie, you shall not go blind in that eye in the name of Jesus. Okay, we're, we're getting ready for the people here. I want you now to bring your need of a miracle to one of these people that you got confidence in. They're going to anoint you with oil. They're going to pray over you. They're going to believe God for your miracle. Whatever it is, if you need deliverance, healing, if you need uh, encouragement, Woo! Jeff Slusher, be healed. Jeff Slusher, be whole. Harama Sandaba Shata. 